0: Welcome to the Pinch to Zoom podcast. I'm Stetson. I'm Gabe. And in this episode, we're taking a look back at the decade, the best technology in mobile photography, apps and software, web computing, videography and filmmaking, entertainment and audio. And yeah,
1: pretty much everything. You know, the stuff that you forget came out eight years ago and you're like, oh, wow, that was so long ago or the stuff that feels like long ago. And maybe it was just two years ago, you know. Surprisingly recent. We we actually went through and we we were going
0: through the best smartphones that were released and a bunch of other devices and there were some products that I feel like have been out for so much longer. Like the Google Assistant actually was pretty recent. I think it was introduced in twenty sixteen and yeah, uh, I've been using that just
1: daily and it feels like it's been out for so much longer because of that. And I w- I personally for me it was the iPad feels like came out pr- pretty recently, but that was actually back in two thousand and ten. Right at the beginning of the decade that the first iPad came out, when Steve Jobs, RIP, was actually still alive. Right, that's. I mean, he gave the best keynotes. It. it was but, I mean, really that's amazing. why we have him in our intro. Right. You know. Right. Because he really redefined. I mean, that honestly, I would say, that is a trend for, uh, you know, the, this decade as well with the whole keynote and the big presentation. You see now, Samsung's doing it, DJI does it, all these companies are trying to do it. And Steve Jobs, I mean, he really launched that with the iPhone in 2008, but it didn't catch on really. I think
0: that was actually 2007.
1: 2007, okay. Yeah, first iPhone 2007. Still, didn't really catch on until this decade, I think.
0: Apple's definitely known for their keynotes. And I think Google, they started hosting their Google I.O. event and, and doing their software. Apple's been doing WWDC. Many companies used to go to CES, I guess still go to CES, but some, as you mentioned, have started doing their own events and that's, I think, almost more effective. They get all the spotlight. Although some, I think they have very interesting
1: presentations, like for Samsung, uh, was it DJ? DJ Ko, their CEO, he's he's just so awesome. Um, but yeah, they're each getting their own thing and it is a bit risky too, though, with you know the Razer uh, presentation for their new foldable Razer phone. I know a lot of people online the tech community were kind of criticizing them for like you had bad lighting like what are you doing your presentation area was weird so it's definitely a risk it costs more you know if you do a couple bad ones maybe you know tech journalists aren't going to come to it anymore versus ces you have all of them there so yeah that was you know that's those are the events that we see actually releasing these products now let's actually get to the product to the product so because we got a lot we have a whole 10 years A
0: decade looking back what was best uh in these different categories and gave i think you had a great
1: way of describing this to people like how did you describe it how did we pick out yeah we were trying to pick this out and you were like saying there's so much stuff i think we need 30 30 categories or something you know yeah like three items each per category like there's some folder nestled under this (laughs) and whatnot and i was like stetson we need to narrow it down basically to you know under 10 items or under 10 areas and each one only gets like one thing, basically. So it's like, which is or what is the iPhone of that category? Like the iPhone defined and revolutionized and really launched smartphones. What is that product for that category for this past decade?
0: I think that's a great way of describing it. And I think we're going to start off with
1: mobile and kind of that phone space. That's. I think that's a great area because this decade, you could almost say was the decade of mobile devices yeah. not necessarily mobile phones but mobile devices devices that aren't you know the pc was before the night in like the 1990s and the laptop and computing became a little more out of the house possibly and this one is really where computing power was brought into the field things got miniaturized
0: more affordable yeah. more accessible and yeah so I actually it's something interesting for for my top pick for mobile the iPhone of mobile photographer of mobile, in my opinion, was actually four G LTE. I think that's going to okay. be right. And I've been using it. We've been using it basically for the past ten years. So you may not necessarily even think of it, but it was actually announced and introduced in two thousand eleven. Oh wow! So that was right at the beginning of the decade. Right at much. the beginning of the decade. So that's why we've had it for so long, and we've been used to it. Um, but it was a it was a new development. So LTE stands for long term evolution, and it was basically. Uh, The next generation of mobile internet uh, communication technology, they were trying to do two things, increase speed and reduce latency. And they definitely did that. And LTE promised getting up to 300 megabits per second down and 75 megabits per second up. That was about the standard. Um, And I think they were hoping to get as low as a five millisecond ping. That was what their standard requirements were. But it was, I mean, basically we had the introduction of it in uh,
1: 2011, and then we had what, smartphones adopting it. How quickly did it get adopted? Like, was it rolled out all at once? Like, I know we're seeing with 5G now, you know, it's kind of like a couple high-end phones here and there that people aren't really going for, but are at least out. So what happened with 4G? Because that was like, that's crazy to think that that was that long ago. It's it's
0: twofold. So first we have to have the carriers develop and okay. deploy the technology on the network And then we have to have the phone manufacturers add in the 5G bands, or in this case, the 4G bands. So I I guess as a quick history here, we had the Samsung SCH-R900 as the first LTE phone. This was released in September 2010. It was more like a slide-out phone with a keyboard. The first smartphone with LTE was the Samsung Galaxy Indulge, launched in February 2011, and it was on Metro PCS. Um, And... In terms of rolling out LTE networks, Verizon was in December 2010. They were first. AT&T, September 2011. Sprint rolled out LTE in October 2011. And T-Mobile coming in last, March
1: 2013. T-Mobile took a while to deploy their LTE network. Okay. So this was all like starts 2011. Um, One thing actually interesting when I was looking back that happened in 2011 as well in the phone area Is that iPhones actually got the ability to be on Verizon? Now I didn't. I I had forgotten about this completely. We take it for granted that if you want to buy an iPhone, you go to whichever carrier you want. Even like Mint now, all these online carriers. And when iPhone was originally launched, it was only on AT and T. It was an AT and T exclusive. That is crazy.
0: Yeah, it is, and. That's also weird to me because now you can just buy the iPhone.
1: Like unlocked, yes. Unlocked.
0: It's a phone. You can use it on whatever network you want. You can and even take it from one go to another. Exactly. Yeah. Before you were just AT&T. That was it. You were locked in. And I'm really thankful they changed that and expanded upon it. But yeah, so that's that was my mobile uh, thing for, for the past decade. The highlight, I think LTE was it. We also saw huge advancements in mobile photography. And I think almost 20... 10 through 2019 was a huge year for mobile photography. We just had a 108 megapixel camera introduced on the Xiaomi Mi Note 10. We had an 8K camera released with the Nubia Red Magic 3.
1: In, yeah, that's. I mean, this is like a garbage camera, but you know, 8K. It, it Yeah, that's usually how tech trickles out and becomes mainstream is you have a couple ones here and there. And then all of a sudden, it's like, Doom, 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 it, doom, it, doom, doom. it starts it turning. Comes, yeah. uh, we had 4K
0: video recording also introduced with the iPhone 6S in 2015 from Apple. And Did all-
1: Samsung introduce it first? Or well, I actually, have the
0: Acer Liquid okay. S2 uh, was first with 4K in okay. 2013. And now we have triple cameras, as yep. we saw with the Galaxy S10. You three cameras that can all record. <laughs> it's nuts. It's crazy. So I really felt those were the two trends. For, uh, I guess, technology standpoint, LTE, and then for mobile... Evolution. I think photography. It was a big year for mobile photography.
1: Smartphones basically replaced point and shoots. Would you also include though in mobile, possibly uh, second screens? I see. I like whether whether it's a tablet or uh, a watch, a sm- like an Apple smartwatch or a you know Samsung. Do you think that really caught on as a trend, or it was too unclear and? I think smartwatches, I think that was
0: huge. I mean, this was a huge year for smartwatches and smart wearable devices. Uh, A Decade, excuse me, right? We're talking about the past 10 years. Yeah, right. Uh, But, you know, in my opinion, I really think in terms of defining uh, technology, like what the iPhone was for that product category, I don't think we're there yet. I think we're still at the, the very beginning.
1: It does. I kind of agree. It feels like it's still, I mean, you have an Apple Watch, I've gone back and forth. I know people have Apple watches and love them, but it still feels like, yeah, it's, it's kind of a little bit like it's, it's awesome. It's really cool. It's helpful, but it hasn't really hit that like boom moment. I think dual screens will take
0: on next decade with the surface Neo and surface duo. And I'm sure that will spur some other devices as well. Yeah. But again, I thought photography was really huge for mobile, but I think you had some really great options in terms of the actual photography landscape like what yeah. we saw from let's cameras. take a look
1: at like what really you know defined photography um and i just w- one thing i just want to look at is in you know 2010 their top point and shoot was the canon s95 had only 10 megapixels wait what really yeah 10 megapixels and a digic 4 processor
0: so that i mean that sounds really old i I think smartphones are now basically 16 megapixels is pretty standard yeah. and the processors are just out of this world. So yeah. that is ancient. It's ancient. We started out ancient. Where did you see or where did we see photography go uh, in the past 10 years? How did it evolve?
1: Uh, or what, was, what were products that really stood out to you? For me, you know, there was, there's so many cameras every year from every manufacturer and there was even 360 photography. Um, you know, with the 360 camera, you know, that was cool. There's aerial photography now with drones. But for me, photography, just looking at that, I thought the biggest advancement came in the mirrorless camera space.
0: I think I agree. That was a, to me, a totally new landscape. Everything used to be DSLR, had that mirror, would flip up out of the way. And then I think you really introduced me to mirrorless with the Sony, uh, you had the AE, 7s 2 yeah and then i jumped on with the
1: a7 iii and that's that's where i would actually if i had to pin it on a specific product or i'd, I'd put it as the sony mirrorless full frame cameras but specifically i'd do the a7 r2 and the a7 s2 they came out the same year that was i think 2016 they were both released which is crazy to think like sony dropped these two huge cameras because they were innovating pushing stuff so fast you know 4k enabled which 4K was just coming to, you know, DSLRs and mirrorless cameras then, but really was not there wasn't many options. So they bring these pretty affordable, you know, under $5,000 uh cameras that have 4K full frame sensors, decently high resolutions and yeah, it it just blew the blew the camera world apart as you can tell cuz you now have, you know, Canon scrambling to get mirrorless cameras, you have Nikon getting their mirrorless lineup going, Panasonic going even to full frame. So yeah, I, even though it didn't happen until 2016, and you know, you had, I think, 2015, the GH4 came out with 4K recording on a four-third, micro four-thirds sensor mirrorless, It this is really the f- defining trend uh, and product for, I think, this decade. Do you
0: think, uh, funny enough, so we saw mirrorless introduced this decade, do you think we'll still see DSLRs being introduced going forward, or will everything just switch over to mirrorless?
1: That's kind of hard to say. I mean, DSLRs still have a lot of advantages, you know, faster autofocus. Um, they're oftentimes, some, even though it's weird, they're, they're designed more durable in a lot of cases, even though they have that lens, uh, you know, that mirror that's flipping up and down, so it's a moving part. They're somehow more durable because they just have a little more room in them and stuff. But yeah, it will be interesting to see where this goes. I think they'll probably... Uh, other than really high end and specific uses, probably we won't see any more DSLRs uh, by the end of this next decade. That's that's almost kind of surprising to to even think about. But yeah, it was bit a huge. But I could be completely wrong, and I probably am completely wrong. I mean, sitting back at the beginning of you know 2010 or end of 2009, looking at all right, what this next decade is going to hold, I don't think people would have predicted that you'd even see um, mirrorless cameras even making any inroads. You know? I was
0: honestly really surprised about 4K. I remember thinking like 1080p is enough. Everything looks fine. Like we don't... Yeah. Our, our TV, we still have a 720p TV, believe yeah, it or right. not, which is un- unreal. Um, but yeah, 4K was huge. Mirrorless was huge. Sony, I think, did a outstanding job leading that industry. It's fun seeing Canon finally starting to catch up. And I think you mentioned in a couple episodes... Nikon's uh, Z series cameras the Z6 and the Z7 yep. are actually some
1: pretty compelling options So, yeah it's becoming very exciting uh, in a very competitive space pretty quickly now uh, you know because it takes a couple of years of development so it was like Canon and Nikon were you know in 2017 2016 they were realizing okay uh, maybe Sony's onto something here you know with these mirrorless camera stuff and then yeah by uh, now 2018 2019 they're launching the EOS R what Z6, stuff like that. What were the big advantages to mirrorless? Like, Why do you think it caught on? I mean, mirrorless, the main thing is the fact that it's a smaller camera, right? Oh, so when you're having to compete with smartphones that can shoot really good photos and are small. And now shooting 4K too. Yeah, right? So that that's a small camera there that does everything. You need to, you know, DSLRs and the professional cameras need to compete by also getting smaller. Um, and then it's just, uh, I think the fact that you know, Sony was really pushing that area. Like, they were... It was incredible when they were releasing the a7S II, a7R II, a7II. They were jamming specs in them and pricing them way less than any comparable Canon DSLR. It was mind-blowing. I think for me, the biggest features were silent shooting. This has been huge
0: at events. I mean, I was a photographer for Ithaca, and going to those events, having that silent shutter was really, really great. Yeah, Or the option to do. Or or the option to do that. And then the the live view basically being able to put my eye up to the viewfinder and see
1: exactly how the image is going to come out with that like it's factoring in the exposure well, and now the you're ISO. getting now the big thing is cause, because if people don't know you know DSLRs use a mirror and so you're actually seeing straight through the lens whereas mirrorless cameras have to use an oled display so you're not actually seeing through the lens you're seeing off the sensor what you know so, but doesn't the light go through the lens to hit the sensor? Yes, but you're not you're seeing an, an electronic image yeah when, yeah. when you're in a mirrorless camera. And so a big issue they did have for a while was you had blackout when you're taking pictures. So you'd go to take a picture, and it would have to oh. sample the sensor, pull it to the memory card, and so you'd have a blackout for a couple seconds, which is a big issue if you're shooting like high-speed stuff like sports or you know some really yeah, fast wildlife you stuff. You literally
0: wouldn't see the moment yeah, you're shooting. Yeah,
1: it's so hard to track that. And so now, though, with the new Sony A9 and some of the other... Uh, cameras out there you're getting where it's basically nothing i mean i think the a9 mark ii actually doesn't have any blackout so they're able to keep a display you know so you're seeing what what's being seen while also pulling all that information off the sensor and recording it which i mean i I
0: would say that regular uh dslr cameras the mirror has to flip up and in that Second, the image is it's being captured. so fast though. You really, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I guess I never really noticed that on my A seven three. So maybe
1: it's just gotten by then. The, it's it has gotten yeah, less. But I you didn't also know that. have you ever shot really any sports or anything? I have not. Okay, so, so that's yeah. There you go. You don't notice it regular stuff because it is so fast. But it, the couple times I've shot, you know, some sports or stuff, track and field stuff. Yeah, you definitely you're like trying to track it through the viewfinder, and it's like, oh gosh, I've just completely missed. Yeah, where to go? So, but yeah, that was really um photography for this past uh decade it's it's incredible i mean i started the decade out shooting on i think a point and shoot is what i was a little Kodak. oh by the way rip kodak uh but we started shooting on a kodak point and shoot unreal back in uh i think it was i want to say i want to say it actually was 12 megapixels which is pretty impressive i guess because then I moved my my camera that I've been shooting on for the vast majority of this decade has been the A seven S two, which was also twelve megapixels. <laughs> so you however, didn't know, you didn't even However, that's a full frame sensor. You that's know, the difference. Four K video. That's the difference. And in between there, I was the Canon T four I. I think
0: I was shooting on a Canon a Canon point and shoot, and then I switched to the iPhone five when that came out, um, yeah. and then I upgraded to the Canon seventy D. Actually, excuse me, the T
1: five I, then the seventy D. Okay, and now I'm on the A seven three. So yeah, it's the slow progression to full frame. But I mean, the real thing is for anyone who hasn't shot on a full frame camera, once you shoot on a full frame camera, there's no going back. You really don't want to go back unless you extremely need that portability or the crop factor of a, you know, a crop sensor camera. Yeah, the full frame low light ability and the um, bokeh that you get. Yeah, just that natural blur. it's, It's really amazing. It's pretty awesome. So Moving on through the categories, what do we have up next, Setson?
0: Next, we have up software. This was a fun category for me. I I spent some time really thinking about it. And similar to the mobile landscape where we've had LTE for so long, you kind of forget about it. What I chose here was actually iMessage. And iMessage was introduced in 2011 with iOS 5. It was announced at WWDC. It was released that fall with iOS 5. And it was basically... Apple's messaging service, where your iPhones could message for free any other iPhone over a either cellular data connection or over Wi-Fi, and it also worked between iPod Touch users as well. And this was huge. In one year, Apple reported Apple users sent over three three hundred billion iMessages. That's um, a ridiculous number. That that's like that's so many messages. And it actually impacted the mobile landscape where. Text message use declined rapidly because there were so many people using iMessage.
1: Yeah well, you know I I think that's probably a smart choice where you put iMessage there, I guess because I think that was one of the first actual like messaging services that went mobile, you know because I was actually thinking for this category uh, when I was just briefly thought about it was uh, Facebook message or you know WhatsApp. Those are huge in Europe. Uh, yeah. Do you know when they came out? I don't know, but it it was I think around like probably 2015 2014 I almost so think they're thereafter. older Well, Facebook message had always been around but when they really made it Facebook messenger for the mobile
0: Interesting, you know, and when yeah. they
1: bought whatsapp, that's when those went big And I mean what made
0: iMessage so big was it was the default built in on every iPhone yep. turned on
1: automatically and of course those controversial blue bubbles if you have an iphone and the green if you are on android or i something know else. i know and that almost i think
0: revolutionized group messaging and just the messaging landscape you could get those red receipts you could get those delivered do you do you leave the red receipts yeah, to, you yeah. Let yeah. People know? I, I, I like people to know if i've read them and i like to know if they've read them too i agree with that it, it's mostly it's not because i want to tell people i'm ignoring them it's i want people to know i saw the message yeah. and like they don't need to follow up or anything or whatever yeah um, and I guess the other big thing for iMessage was they ad- introduced stickers starting in 2016 uh, You could make payments and they introduced those like little apps Google Maps and Spotify. Do you use those in iMessage? Not really. like I the mean, little apps I, and stickers. I
1: still don't like all the stuff that iMessage has built in in the bottom there Facebook Messenger does a lot better. I think personally and um, so I, but yeah, I think that you've kind of seen this interplay between All these different messaging you know apps or sites and the big i mean you saw the word dm direct message is now like that's a thing that's a word that's just in everyone's lexicon yeah that if you said hey uh you know can you dm me the details to someone in back in 2010 they'd be like what they get and and, and twitter was out
0: then wow so They, they get one of those like Puzzled emojis popping above their heads, which is actually, all right, this is my second software thing. So big one was iMessage, second big one, emoji. Technically, this was first developed in 1999. Yeah, they've been around a while. uh, By a Japanese artist working for a mobile internet platform in Japan, uh, specifically Japan's main mobile carrier. And he was using a, or the artist was using a 12 by 12 pixel grid for developing uh, images to communicate information uh, through graphics. But really, I think why I put this in the 2010 to 2019 decade is because Unicode adopted the Emoji standard in 2010, or I guess, yeah, they accepted Emoji into their standard, and then Apple introduced it into
1: their keyboard in iOS in 2011. The big thing, I think, is uh, being on a touchscreen device you can change what keyboards and we've saw a prevalence of touchscreen devices i mean pretty much everyone owns at least one device that has a touchscreen so rather than having you know a traditional keyboard that's you know fixed you can't change the keys on a you know physical a, keyboard physical right? keyboard that you have for your pc the or Black for your laptop Berries. yeah right uh, but if you have a digital keyboard on your screen just with one tap all of a sudden you have an emoji keyboard you have this you know anyone you want and i think that is really probably what led to the prevalence of that. I emojis. think another
0: thing too is emoji is basically universal like you can show an emoji yeah. to pretty much anyone in the world and they will understand the the meaning and the context behind it and the emotions that are associated with it which I think is pretty cool are you a big emoji user how do you feel about emoji at this at this point
1: I yeah I use a decent amount I try not to use too much I hate you know when people you have like six emojis of text or something like that. You're
0: not like an emojify person, where Apple will highlight the words in the message that you can turn oh, into you emojis. Instantly turn. Oh no! And that's... you
1: just tap all of them. You're not. You're not no, one of those. No, I don't do that. And you know, the interesting thing is also now we've started to see emojis getting replaced by gifs. I think. Or oh, GIFs you know, I or, think I agree
0: with that because I'm I'm not a big emoji person or yeah. a big I say gif. I'm not, I'm not a big gif person. Uh, but, you know, now that you mention it, I think those are becoming more and more popular. There are dedicated GIF keyboards. People yep. can switch to them. People love them. And I guess they're, they're memes. They're basically sending, like, GIF memes back and forth. Yeah. But those were my two big uh, developments that I think we saw this this decade for
1: mobile apps and software. You know, I would, as a trend, maybe not a development, but I think you mentioned this at one time when we were talking about, like, something, I forget. But subscription services that is a huge trend everything subscription. every app has subscriptions you know twenty thousand. 000 subscri- even it's so such a prevalent thing that apple has a dedicated section in your iCloud settings of subscriptions of, of, which is nice by the way because it, i it's great i hate you know signing up for a
0: free trial and then just getting that Oops, auto renew up, yeah it's the worst yeah. so
1: is this like subscriptions is this a category that you're putting in the decade or is it I think this is firmly locked in the decade. I mean, you have Adobe. I'm not sure when they switched over their Adobe. I actually got you. Oh, on you got me. I put, there so we go.
0: I wanted to talk about streaming services, but it turns out Netflix was 2007, Spotify was 2008. So those, I think, to me, started the previous decades. So I can't, don't think so. You, I mean. I mean, we're, we have an entertainment category, so we'll talk about those then. We'll talk then. But Adobe launched Creative Cloud uh, in 2012. That was a okay. subscription model. And they made it the only option
1: starting in 2013. Yeah. So that shows you how much that this is really decade-defining yeah. for the subscription model because Adobe is one of the most used creative softwares, probably Sweet. in the world. Yeah, I mean, between Photoshop, uh, After Effects, Illustrator, InDesign, you know, And now they're even having mobile apps, too, with Lightroom and such. They really... Yeah, there's there's not pretty much not one creative person that doesn't use some Adobe app in some way. You have
0: to use an Adobe product at some point, either in education or for business. They're basically industry standard. And what kind of gets me is people will pay Adobe regardless of what the price is. Like, it's a business expense for them. And they just... They have to like they have to do their business, so they just pay that and subscription fee. I think
1: it's, it's a little scary that they could pretty much, I know those at the beginning of this year, I think, there was some rumors or maybe in the summer that they were going to double their price for their subscriptions just across I think the they, board.
0: they quickly doubled back on that. Like they, they went
1: back, but the thing is, they could do that. They could. And I think if you figure, all right, double the price, they would l- not lose half of their people. People need Adobe, so, so yeah, yeah, they would just make more money. That's which is l- disgusting yeah no i'm i'm a bit torn on the whole subscription thing i hate it because it's like i hate seeing money leave my pocket every month but yeah. it also is kind of nice because then you always have the latest version so if you think of all right if i had spent 600 dollars on photoshop and now it's i'm outstated. spending that over how many years what if it's like 10, 10 bucks a month well it's Ten to I twenty guess bucks a month.
0: Photoshop would be ten dollars a month. Yeah. But if you get the full suite, then it's fifty dollars a month, yeah. and you're basically spending six hundred a year anyway.
1: So it's but if but if you're just getting Photoshop, that's like four or five years, right? That you get sure, an app sure you get that up to date. So yeah, I mean it's it's a bit annoying because you hate seeing money going out of your pocket every month. You but never own it. You never own the you're just also, renting it. That's also the bad thing, I guess. Yeah. If you stop any month and you don't have it. My preferred method that I've seen a few app
0: developers do is you pay for the software so Sketch does this. Sketch is a design tool that I use and you pay for the the app and it's I think it's a hundred dollar app and you own it. You own that version of the app and you will get free updates for two years. Then at that point the free updates will stop and if let's say there's a major release they release a new version or there's huge feature improvements, then you upgrade at a lower cost. Hmm. And I like that because you own the version you purchase forever. And if you want to upgrade, you always have that option. That is kind of a a nice way to do it. Like like you still own it and you're not locked into the subscription, Yeah, which I don't know. I, I enjoy that. But I think we can move on to web.
1: Did you have categories for what defined yeah, web is kind of hard because, I mean, one thing I was I was thinking of putting was HTML5. I think that's a big one because didn't Apple adopt that and they basically yeah. killed... Adobe Flash was literally dropped in 2013. Unreal. So, Speaking of Adobe. Yeah, right. They saw, they said, all right, subscriptions and okay, goodbye Flash. So that's a big thing. And if you want to say purely web, like the internet, like people that view, that's probably the biggest thing. However, I'm going to expand web as a bigger thing and include the internet of things in that, which was something that really didn't even exist as a concept prior to this decade. Well, I mean, there were definitely, so it's weird, I was looking into this, there were products that were connected to the internet before this decade. There was, but the idea and the phrase internet of things didn't exist till this decade. By yeah, far. I agree with that.
0: And I think it became marketed. Companies realized they could leverage that people yeah. began to understand what the Internet of Things meant. Yeah. Or you'd have smart devices connected. Yeah. What what did you see as defining for the Internet of Things or, or what did you want? to talk I think about I think there's two products
1: this decade that really helped this take off. First one, I think, was the Nest thermostat. Interesting. Yeah. And it's not necessarily because a lot of people got it. Um, or you know, purchased this or even used it, but it was just because it looked so beautiful. It does. It was Apple featured it. You know, everyone knew about it, and I know I tried to get my parents to install it when you know back in 2013. My dad's like, no, I want a thermostat I can go up there and turn and works, and you know I can control. And it was like too much for him. But yeah, that you know up until that point they had you know programmable thermostats and digital stuff, but Nest was the first one that said. You know, screw all the complicated stuff. Let's just make this thing beautiful. sits on the wall, looks kind of like a real thermostat, but you know, enables you to control with your smartphone and such. I so think, that, yeah, that was t- 2011. Sorry, actually. Wow, so it's really at the beginning of the decade that came out. Right that at the beginning out. of the decade, and then the next product, the other one would be the Amazon uh, Echo. I think you could almost argue argue the other smart
0: assistants as well. Like they kind of. They built on that. What what made you choose the Echo? Well, the
1: Echo was the first one, so they were the first one to do voice controlled, you know, speaker, smart assistant sitting in your house that could control all those products. And why I think this one above the Nest could be the product, uh, you know, of the decade that really brought the web into your home in a new way is because the Echo, for one, it's a speaker, right? So you can you can purchase it. You know, it's a great giftable item. You give it to a friend. You know, they can play music off it, they can ask it questions, they can set timers. Uh, they don't even have to have a smart product in their home. But then, you know, they start seeing ads or they start hearing about, oh, you can also dim lights or turn off lights. Or you can, oh, if you get this rice cooker or pressure cooker, you can turn that off and on with your voice assistant. And so it all, all of a sudden it's like, all right, let me add to this with, th- you know, this. Or let me get some dot, dot, dot and add this product. So I think that probably, for me, is the defining product. Of this decade for like the web I think we saw the Alexa they introduced what is it the
0: um, Philips Hue they had a Philips Hue control hub built
1: into the system so basically you could control your lights you got that right yeah but it's uh, it was very gimmicky because you could only really do very simple stuff like turning the lights on and off not changing color and stuff like that that's lame but yeah I think,
0: okay, I wanted to, inter- you did the internet of things. I okay. think that was huge. For web, I have cloud storage. And this is another thing where it kind of started to come out in the previous decade. Dropbox was in 2007. Um, but I think it really matured throughout this decade. It became widely used, widely adopted. Yes, I
1: mean, as internet speeds got faster.
0: Yeah, and they could support it. And uh, Google Drive, that actually came out in 2012. Okay. And um, Google yeah, Docs is- was was de- built and developed it was kind of, it came out of beta in late 2009, but I would still say, like, we started using it in school. I think yeah, in I remember high in school. In high school, when, I yeah. was using it too. Right? So. That's when I started. So, that that was huge for me, and I think that transformed the game where I never lost any of my writing, ever. Yep. <laughs> that, like, that was great. I'm really thankful for that. Um, and I think it transformed the workplace, too, where it pushed Microsoft to put their Microsoft Office suite on the cloud as well. So, I think I think cloud storage and I want to
1: say online, the online workspace are uh, some of the decade defining. And I think that's something, though, that's going to be interesting to see how this goes forward, because right now it's mainly like low uh, data items that are edited in the cloud, you know, documents, spreadsheets, you know, but you haven't seen a lot of photo editing. You haven't seen a lot of video editing. I mean, it's just starting to get there. I know I keep seeing some pop ups for some I forget what the site there's some name of some site out there. Uh, I think it's Grid IO or something that's supposed to be editing in the cloud, where you can collaborate between people. And yeah, it, I think that will come as internet speeds get faster, and so it's more like real time. My my prediction for the future is Wait, this is next little plug for next. Well, yeah, our next bonus episode is going to be predicting the next decade. Predicting so, uh, the technology. A little for the sneak next. peek on this. We're gonna have server iMac Pros.
0: Excuse me, server Mac Pros. And you're just going to be able to access them via remote desktop and do all your editing from your laptop while basically controlling a supercomputer
1: and a server. That's what I think. That's my prediction. That would be pretty awesome. We'll see. All right. Yeah. All right. So that was uh, the web. Moving on. What's the next category, sets in? Computing. I computing. Think okay. So you were just kind of talking about the future. What's the past decade, though? The
0: past for computing is actually kind of interesting. So we had, as you mentioned, HTML5. Which killed um, Adobe Flash. Yeah. Adobe Flash, and I think this was actually kind of it coincided and went along with the introduction of the iPad, because these tablets couldn't really render Flash True. as well as computers could, and that to me was actually one of the defining uh, things in computing for this decade tablets
1: do you remember back in like before html5 was becoming the standard and adobe flash was out like going to sites on like your ipod touch or like an early ipad or tablet or whatever and oh it just God. being like no i can't i can't do this site on my mobile device at it all. just wouldn't work it was like, crazy yeah do you remember when the first ipad was launched it was 2000 we already mentioned this 2010 yeah, yeah. It, was, it i still can't believe that it was 2010 it mm-hmm. feels like it was just yesterday what were your first impressions
0: of that device when it announced like what do you remember happening i remember
1: it was chunky for one it was like this is like a literally a piece of slate uh based on weight you know it feels like a rock and it also just felt like why would anyone get this it was just a huge iphone you know
0: yeah actually so i think i was in i want to say sixth grade and we You know, talking amongst my friends, my fellow sixth graders, we concluded it was a useless, very large
1: iPod Touch, or as it was called, the iTouch back then. I know there was some parody video. I'm pretty sure of them talking about like the iPad, and it was like first we had the iPhone, then we had the bigger iPad, and then someone took their uh, large iMac and they made it look like (laughs) uh, look like an iPad, and like now we have the iPad XL. I like that. And yeah. they weren't far off because now we have the 12.9. Uh,
0: yeah, the 12.9 inch iPad Pro. So we so have, they're getting big. I think, yeah. So iPad and tablets were huge. Of course, we saw a lot of tablets from Samsung. I think Microsoft was actually one of the driving forces in this. And they introduced their uh, hybrid devices where we had the tablet laptop hybrid. And Microsoft, they started with the Surface. This was introduced in 2012. They upgraded to the Surface Pro uh, targeting, I wanna say people working in the work industry, like, hey, this is a pro device now in 2013. They announced the Surface Book, more of a proper laptop, but still with a detachable tablet screen. And yeah, so I think I think between the iPad, all of the Android tablets that came out and the Microsoft Surface lineup, I think the tablet form factor and I wanna say like hybrid mobile computing
1: that was the technology that I think defined the decade. What's really interesting is that you you mentioned those two products, right? The iPad the Microsoft Surface. And for me, it's actually they're at polar ends of the tablet spectrum, and they came at it from either direction. You have iPad that basically went, all right, let's scale up a smartphone uh, and let's scale up the mobile experience. And then slowly over the decade, it's gotten more and more like a computer. It's, they added software features and yeah. made it more powerful. Then exactly. on the other end, you have... Microsoft who went all right, let's make our desktop experience on a touch screen and then that went awful and then <laughs> yeah. so said, All right, we need to make this more like a mobile experience And so I think they both ended up actually we, we know and you now have the iPad Pro you have the newest Microsoft Surface 4 is out. So think? I think they it's the Surface go Go Surface go, okay, and they are both very similar products, but if you look back, you know, five to ten years they started in very different places. I think that's a great way of describing that evolution.
0: And I agree with you. I think I think Apple did it better because they started with what was familiar and easy to use. And regardless of how silly and dysfunctional the original iPads were in terms of typing and actually trying to get stuff done, yeah. they were great for media consumption. They were stupid easy to use because everyone already knew how to use them. And they didn't run into that Windows Eight debacle that was just an awful experience all around. But yeah, I think I think overall we saw some huge strides forward in the mobile computing space, especially with tablets. And that's what I would say was the uh, the computing
1: highlight of the past ten years. Uh, I, yeah, that seems seems very good. And R I P. Speaking of mobile uh, and Windows, I just R I P. Windows Mobile. Oh yeah, Windows Windows Phone. Windows Win- oh there's so many different names. Because it, it was Windows Phone Seven, and yeah, then it was Windows Phone Eight. But then they changed Windows 8 because they they unified it. So R I P just in general to the Windows Phone landscape. Though you might see it coming back now with the new. Well, it's not. It's Android. The the Microsoft system, but a Microsoft phone with the Surface Duo running Android. That again, that's for predictions for the next next episode. Stay tuned. Moving to the next category, we have videography and filmmaking. You know, this is basically any motion pictures. I think, I mean, I'd be interested to hear what you have for this, but to me, almost
0: the mirrorless cameras, we started seeing those doubling as filmmaking tools. Yeah, I was
1: very close to putting those into this, but I figured in their essence, they are, you know, dedicated, made for photography, really. Right. And it's just that they are also incredibly good at doing moving pictures and video as well. Big win for YouTubers. Oh, definitely. Yeah. You know, I also would probably mention in this category for filmmaking videography, the 5D Mark III. Yeah, yeah, from that came out 2013. And that long ago? Yeah, I think it was, or even I thought it was sooner. Maybe, maybe it's 2012. Yeah, no, 2012. Sorry. Wow, it is sooner. So, but that's the Mark III. The, yeah, the 5D Mark III. That really redefined, um, you know what DSLR video was. That was the pretty much anyone shooting video for the web. You know, you show up to a job if you didn't have the 5D Mark III, clients would be like, "What are you doing?" That's then so interesting. Why aren't you shooting on that? Even if you had a better camera, like if you had a cinema camera, I talked to someone who had like a Sony F7, and he would bring the 5D Mark III because that's what people wanted. That's so interesting. That's what they knew. Because they knew what it was. Yeah. So, what did you end up
0: putting for the videography filmmaking category? What was what was decade defining? What was the decade iPhone?
1: defining? The iPhone of this category. Yeah. Category. Uh, I, I I you know I wanted to go with a trend. So the trend. I'll start with the trend. The trend was gimbals. I love that. I was actually going to say that. I think that is spot on. That was the trend for this decade. You know, you started the decade with gimbals were huge, heavy things that only were used on movie sets. You know, the Ronin, the Movi, and even some other ones that haven't made it all the way through this decade that were just huge two-handed things. And then by about the middle, you started seeing some single-handed gimbals come out. You started seeing some drones with gimbals. And now by the end, you have the Osmo Pocket, which is a tiny little thing you can you know, control control from your smartphone, it fits in your pocket, 4K footage, and you have some crazy drones from DJI and, you know, Autel and the likes of uh, those drone manufacturers. Yeah. And so, so for
0: people who are maybe more unfamiliar, what, like, what is a gimbal? What are the advantages of a okay, gimbal? So
1: yeah, basically a gimbal is a device that keeps a camera or any anything really steady and keeps it in position and reduces the amount of movement on it so it's really smooth which is great for getting any uh you know filmmaking you know smooth shots that look really like action shots yeah
0: you can be running and the footage will be smooth and steady they
1: look very what's the word cinema cinematic cinematic that's the word sorry thank you uh and yeah that's that is really what has happened in this past decade is these have become something that was just used on a film set to now something that literally anyone can use and they basically it's been the ability for them to make brushless motors very cheap and also make chips very cheap because that's what process the yeah motion. exactly because it's not just the you need motors to correct for any motion it's that you need accelerometers and such to be like all right how is this person shaking the gimbal and all right let's right. correct for that really quickly. how how were movies
0: previously capturing these smooth sweeping movements well they movies were
1: always using gimbals they were i yeah. think
0: i mean to me i
1: almost or it was cranes, like gimbals basically... But, but, but cranes were using a gimbal or some sort of cam thing on the end. On the end. And those have been around for a while because if you're going to spend, you know, $50,000 on a rig... That's what you would get. You could you could do that. Sure, sure. Um, but... I mean, it, I guess they brought them
0: to, like, indie filmmakers then. Yes, like, so that's they, what it was. It, yeah. it
1: became for the masses. Which is and, amazing. And, yeah, I really would probably say gimbals, if I had to put something more specifically for filmmaking... It would be drones because drones of all things have utilized gimbals the most and the prevalence has been far wider than just gimbals in general, you know, and that, if I had to go one product, I, it's, it's really tough between the DJI Phantom 3 or Phantom 4, but one of those Phantoms, I know the Mavic Pro probably sold a lot more than any of the Phantoms, but the Phantom line was the one that if people, if you said, oh, it was a drone, uh, if they wanted to draw a drone, like say draw a drone, that's what they would draw. They would draw the phantom shape. Like I agree, and actually, I want to clarify. I think that
0: is what replaced cranes because what cranes could do is they could get up really high and know well, what could do. That still
1: exists. Well,
0: uh, well, now you can do it on a drone, and yeah. you can literally position it anywhere in the sky, and it just
1: you're flying a camera, which yeah. is huge, which is huge. So for for you know uh regular like online videographers, beginners, um uh, indie filmmakers, yeah, drones are incredible, but still on film sets, you're gonna get them using cranes a lot more because they can hold heavier rigs and they get the camera
0: they want yeah exactly but, I mean now you can basically fly a red with the matrice right I mean yeah kind of I mean it's still you you have a lot more chance of crashing it than a crane how right? do you feel about sliders I mean were those those are just like not sliders even sliders? just a too niche yeah is the
1: thing you know drones have taken off far more no pun intended yeah um, I like that I like that in the past decade and one thing that is interesting talking about videography is really, you know, now we have potentially, I know we talked about last episode, the fact that Autel Evo 2 drone could have a 6K and 8K camera options. We'll see. And, you know, you have already now a 6K S1H uh, camera from Panasonic. And yeah, 6K, it looks like, is going to be coming very quickly next year to consumer. It's the new 4K. Exactly. And we just had Apple drop their new 6K monitor. So this is like... But I just wanted to bring up that 4K... Even though you know you had TVs rolling out that supported 4K all the way back in 2012, you didn't really have any cameras that shot 4K until 2014. That's so interesting. That was so, when you saw the Sam's uh, the Panasonic GH4 shooting 4K and the GoPro 4. We also shooting 4K. saw TVs. Funny that both of those were the fourth version. <laughs> that well timed, well timed
0: yeah. fourth version 4K. And it's interesting to me. We saw the TVs. The display technology was there. But the media wasn't there. Well, I, I would say, actually, that the media was there.
1: It was like movies. They were shooting 4K? Yeah, well, they were, there was more expensive stuff. And granted, in 2012 and 2011, when 4K TVs were coming out, those were TVs costing $20,000. Oh, my God. They were that much? You can yeah. grab them for under $1,000. Yeah, I know, right? It's, Unreal. Uh, un, you can buy a 4K TV for like 300 on Black Friday. That is... A 48-inch. Bananas. Yeah, so that is really, for videography and filmmaking... It is, you know, these gimbals that bring really cinematic shots to the everyday filmmaker. And I think that segues pretty well into entertainment.
0: So we have all these production tools revolutionizing how we create content. Yeah. I mean, 4K is... That's one of them. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's one thing for entertainment. for entertainment. We're now streaming 4K and actually streaming, I think. Yeah. It's I mean, it's hard. So... Netflix came out before the decade. We had some other streaming services come out before the decade. But I still think the twenty ten to twenty nineteen era, I think that's when streaming really
1: took oh, off. Oh, definitely. I mean, how many people had an account with Netflix before 2010? How many people, you know, have right. an account after? And then the And cord now cutting. how yeah, exactly. How many other services are there competing with Netflix? It's true. Because remember, Netflix was just a DVD service we actually had that Originally, we were yeah. yeah we
0: got DVDs sent um I think we could do like three or four a month depended we on shipping. your subscription yeah yeah I mean well we had to watch the movie and then ship yeah. it back and so you know we probably ended up getting like
1: one or two but they, they had some subscriptions where you could have two at once yeah we actually yeah. did that yeah, right. I got my
0: own account my own queue and oh, you'd man. ship it back and then they oh man that brings back such good and then Netflix tried to turn it into Quickster they were yeah. like all right we're splitting it that was a disaster I hope I hope people forget about that um what so did you end up having cable like do you guys have cable now
1: uh, at my house where my parents live yes they still have cable wow so when i'm there yeah we have cable which is great for sporting stuff but otherwise like other than like live events it's not really that helpful i personally uh, i'm i'm moving out you know out west to la in a couple months and i will not be having cable i can pretty much guarantee that there's no reason, other than getting, you know, the internet in the door, I don't need to deal with Spectrum, Comcast, or Xfinity. I agree with that. And
0: yeah, so I think streaming was huge. I also, I guess entertainment, I think we can sneak in, I want to say like the Nintendo Switch here. And I want to, I want to propose maybe mobile gaming and social gaming. And I want to say mobile gaming because of course the smartphones, like everyone started gaming on their phone.
1: Yeah, on online gaming. Too, online maybe? gaming cuz you have I mean Fortnite. Oh yeah. I mean that was that was just explosive. you wouldn't have had anything like that before. I mean yeah, you had online multiplayer but with Twitch streaming and you know the combination right there with around Fortnite was huge. I had, think esports too. A, Fortnite is actually a combination of everything, right? Cuz you have that's A online gaming, okay? And that's also mobile gaming. It's true. That's streaming cuz you're on Twitch, right? So those those three things right there. It's a trifecta. Trifecta of, did we have anything else? I, they don't have, do they have 4K? Yeah, I think they do 4K. Sure, why not? Let's and interestingly, it in you know, you saw a huge break. Speaking of gaming, you saw a huge break. Uh, You know, Microsoft 360 and stuff came out, you know, back in the O's of the decade, I think. Yeah, you know, and you saw the Kinect come out right at the 2010 right at the start of the decade right so that came out for the 360 uh and then you had uh xbox and uh the sony both the xbox one and the sony ps4 those came out i think i have down here where is it 2000 and there it is gaming and entertainment uh 2013 wow yeah
0: i mean it feels like they were more recent i remember they came out my friends but then, you, all got but them then in between
1: then, then you've had the xbox one s you've had the ps4 right. pro you've had now the xbox one x it's crazy i feel like they only release new consoles every 10 years or so but then they release all these little upgrades in between yeah, that's i mean it was before the xbox one and ps4 you know the ps3 and xbox 360 were i think seven years or eight yeah, years that's a long time so, for technology to go without yeah. an update And
0: I I think the other thing to to mention in this category is VR and AR. I think it was... I, I don't... I still think it's a tech demo. It's not quite matured, but I think we saw some huge advancements. And this is where potentially looking back when it's 2030, or looking back at the tech that defined the 2020 decade, maybe we'll see... AR and VR maturing, finding an I, yeah. actual use. I feel like we'll be like, what were we doing in the 2010s? Right. Just doing these weird demos. Yeah. I think that's all I have for entertainment. Um we had that one movie streaming it wasn't a stream, it was a movie subscription
1: service where you got movie tickets every month. Oh yeah, movie pass. Is that still a thing? It it is and it isn't. So movie pass went uh, kind of bankrupt kind of they are still around but they yeah, it, it was pretty messy basically they were you know They were using the Silicon Valley pricing of of get just amount of amassed subscribers And then you'll figure out how to make a profit eventually even if you're losing money So that's what that's what they tried as a business model didn't work out because you're spending money in the real world But now as a result of that you do now see Regal AMC uh, and all the theater chains have their own subscription model where you can subscribe and you can go see movies in the theaters, uh, you know, like four times a month.
0: I kind of like that. Yeah. Although, it depends. Maybe if there's a month where you don't like any of the movies and it's not really worth it. Um, but I I personally would like to go to the movies more because
1: I think that's one of the best places to experience a movie. Yeah. And I, th- I would also, one last thing, sorry. We were talking about movies, but I think TV shows was the big trend for this past Uh, Decade of you saw TV shows going from something that was just sitcoms or just you know Something you'd watch to pass the time to now TV shows really are becoming the dominant storytelling format versus you know When was the last time before? 2010 that a TV actor um, Would be also someone who is a movie star, right? You you didn't see movie stars going doing TV before then now It's so common and it's actually like oh my gosh. He's gonna do something in TV or she's gonna do a TV role This is huge where before that was seen as like beneath them. So. I think what plays off of this is original
0: content too. Yeah. We've seen Netflix investing huge amounts of money in producing Netflix originals. We're seeing Apple now, to your point, building yeah. their Apple TV Plus Apple subscription. Apple, HBO right? I mean, HBO, I guess, was the original with the original content. And now Amazon
1: Prime as yeah. well. They're, they're introducing their own content. So, and Disney even is now producing content, even though they're already producing content, they're producing even more just for their streaming service. Yeah. Yeah. So I think original content and I think but that stems from streaming. I it, does. It, it does. So it brings us circles
0: back around and we're at streaming. again. And now instead of needing one $50 cable bill, you need, yeah. ten five dollar streaming bills to to get all the content yeah you this is
1: really cord cutting uh came back around and like it was like you cut the cord but then all of a sudden the cord frayed out and you had 20 cords coming in <laughs> yeah so. that's a good way and i think a core part of going to the theater
0: segueing into audio is the amazing sound space they build in theaters gabe did you have any highlights for audio this past decade like what what did we see we
1: what did we hear? Uh, what did we, we hear stereo, in better. audio? Yeah, well, for audio, for me, this was almost the easiest no-brainer of wait, all. Really? The, other than the you know the Sony A7s uh, for mirrorless and the gimbals for videography, this one for me was
0: a no-brainer. I mean, I was thinking about audio evolutions and I was doing research. I thought noise canceling, but
1: that's been around no, for a while. you know what it is? I I I just I it's don't know AirPods. I, AirPods. That's I'm your- sorry. I'm I'm. I hate to go with an Apple product. I know we've already had iMessages in there, but I think AirPods, uh, and of all of them, they're the easiest one to pick. That's the product. That's the iPhone defining. of audio because I think um, it's revolu- And maybe it's going to be over the next twenty years that we'll see that you know between the twenty 20- two thousand ten two thousand thirty that twenty year gap that AirPods are the defining product for audio. But we're going to see for the next decade, I think audio becoming more and more personalized what so what made you choose airpods so it's like what about them because okay until then you had headphones right first yeah they'd been around forever then you had you know wireless headphones and you even had wireless earbuds but they're always connected by that little thing you know people would be like ah, i like them but they're not really you know i don't want to have that dangling thing around i'll just go with the regular uh headphones that i plug in if you know if i'm if i'm gonna have a dangling thing why not just plug it in sure I have to deal with charging it and You know, there were actually some truly wireless AirPods, AirPods, or earbuds, sorry. Earbuds. See, they've almost named a whole product. Earbuds before the AirPods came out. But they were clunky. You know, the range was iffy. They weren't the best. They didn't look good. AirPods came out, and I literally laughed because they were so stupid looking. And everyone mocked them to death, right? I remember that. The first people who got them. Shout out to those people. They looked... Goofy for maybe six months until everyone else got them. it was in it's the change that we've seen happen with AirPods is incredible. Like it's true. The so, fact that it went from a product that people were like, Why are you gonna buy this? You're gonna lose this. Like they were literally selling things that turned them back into headphones. Like, you know, connected them I with saw a cable. Them. Yeah, it's like a so cable to connect them to your phone. Like, it was ridiculous. But now they've become something that when I go to the gym. I'm wearing my AirPods. There's probably, you know, out of the 40 people there or so, like possibly there's maybe like 10 to 15 wearing AirPods. So that's a good like 30 to and that's a that's at a gym where there's a lot of older people so not a lot 30. of people are wearing headphones. So I'd say of the people wearing headphones, uh yeah, it's a lot higher percentage that are wearing AirPods, but also you look at the design. So many different companies have either copied Apple with the cheap knockoffs or they've had to make their own, you know, the Microsoft Surface Buds, Google has their own one, Samsung. They've all followed Apple's lead here. And I think while these devices right now, these truly wireless earbuds are really limited on features. You know, we just saw the uh, AirPods Pro now have noise canceling finally right at the end of the decade. I think going forward, we're sorry, we're going into our next episode already. Cut right here and just go to it, but I'm just going to keep going. Uh, Going forward, we'll see these EarPods. Uh, earbuds, AirPods, whatever you want to call them. They're AirPods. Let's call them AirPods. They're just going to be called Airbu- AirPods for everyone? Air? How about AirBuds? Air Wait, Buds. that's a movie. Oh, oh no. no,
0: no. Disney movie. Wrong <laughs> yeah. company.
1: Okay, but we're going to see true wireless earpo- earbuds, earbuds become so ubiquitous and so common that you're literally just wearing them all the time and they're using the AR augmented audio so that you can be walking down the street and you know, a billboard could be like talking into your uh, ears. and But it would be positioned so that as you walk by, it get louder and as you walk away, it get quieter. Or, you know, you could have your TV in your living room. It could be on, but it would be quiet and only in your earbuds. But as you walk closer, it'd get louder. As you walk away, it get quieter. That is a wild thing to think of. And we have some companies
0: doing that. Yeah. But I want to say... It's, it's very like 3D technology. Yeah. I guess, yeah. So AirPods were the defining product because they re... Or they introduced truly wireless earbuds in yeah. one of the best implementations on the market
1: yeah they redefined the category they made it exciting and yeah they, they brought they a are, competition when someone says they want wireless earbuds you say oh you want airpods and that's the I one mean, you just saw want. me making the mistake of trying to call earbuds airpods so, right right yeah.
0: and i guess some people even with android phones like them just because they're some of the even best yeah outfit.
1: even if they don't have the all the great pairing or the you know the data sharing with the w1 or w2 chip that you get with an apple product yeah they're still very sleek looking and i mean people just want them i think it's interesting how many
0: products apple released that ended up being quite monumental from the ipad okay but we're also apple fanboys to so. the airpods well it's just interesting i mean I think Apple does get to some degree a certain amount of criticism for not innovating. I think they are still very thoughtful with their products and I do appreciate some of the
1: innovations they've they've brought about. I think what it is possibly is they are a bit slow, but they do it right. They do it right and it's and that's the thing with tech innovation that lasts is it isn't about necessarily being the first to market, right? You know, the original iPhone wasn't the first smartphone on the market. It was the one that was presented in the best way. It was marketed the best. It had the, you know, the right price, the right time. Everything just was right about it. And that's why we remember it. Or GoPros, right? GoPro wasn't the first action camera. But it was the one that was marketed the best. It was the one that was presented the best, priced right, uh, and really just caught the public eye. That That is a really good point. I think the last category we have is
0: transportation. We're going to throw this on at the end. Okay. I think... We have some really cool hardware. Well, we just want to mention Tesla. That's pretty much all we want to do. I think before we get into Tesla, I wanna I want to tail off the Apple segue we just had. They introduced Apple Maps, which was just a hot disaster. If yeah, you remember okay. let's, when that... yeah,
1: let's tra- we need to trash. Apple We need to for trash a Apple,
0: and Apple Maps is the thing to trash them on. I remember seeing a cartoon of helicopters airlifting those tiles that look like blurred, chunky, unloaded map images just over, like, major cities because Apple Maps didn't recognize major cities and wouldn't load them. It was a disaster when Apple got rid of Google Maps on the iPhone uh, starting in 2012. And to their credit, I think they have improved it, uh, but I guess not to their credit, I still
1: continue to use Google Maps for all of my navigation needs. Yeah, that was... That was probably and they still it's still not good. It's, got, it's still it's not gotten good. better, but it's still awful. I still search for stuff and they'll have old listings on there because they pull off Yelp, but they then keep them separate. It's really, yeah. I I still every day wish that Apple would just go back and use Google Maps. Although I do want to give them credit. I mean, no, no credit. It's the only other
0: mapping service that I'm aware of because well, you Waze, ways Bing,
1: Waze, Bing w- Maps. That's a thing. Yeah, and Yelp they have yelp maps yeah you've never used the yelp app no okay you need to get out from under your little shell i guess to my
0: own credit uh it turns out verizon has their own navigator app as well for an extra ten dollars a month
1: eight dollars at&t as well they have their own at&t i I actually don't even subscribe to any of those services but i just buy their (laughs) their navigator app it's so weird so but i mean i wanted to give a shout out to apple maps apple maps also apple air carplay and android auto both of those those i wish those were
0: more prominent i
1: still don't they have are, that they are prominent in new cars In new car they maybe that's aren't. my
0: problem i have a 2010 prius that's yeah. my problem
1: i mean it's almost standard now even in the entry level of you know 2020 cars you know manufacturers have realized that this is something that people really value and also it's a way that we can spend less money on our native ui we don't have to put in as many yeah. features and we can just leave it up to android auto and what Apple were they CarPlay. thinking i mean car
0: manufacturers
1: were just dumping money into some of the worst design software yeah. i've ever seen in my entire life they were designing uh you know the software like you design a car you know that ui so it was just not not the same way awful i'm so thankful for android auto i'm thankful for uh apple and CarPlay. i honestly have to say i like android auto actually better because sure. you get google voice assistant right oh. there at a at a Pop of a little button on the steering wheel, you can say "Yes." Google any question, and you get an answer. Whereas Siri, uh is g- not <laughs> Siri, 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 you there? <laughs> yeah, Siri will struggle to give you directions. Uh, they are getting now directions via any app. You know, you can say via Waze, or you can say play via Spotify. So that's nice at least. But it's it's been a long and rough ride for uh, Apple's CarPlay. It's been a bumpy road. Yes. Um and I
0: guess another company's had kind of a bumpy road but they've had some monumental products and that's Tesla. Yeah,
1: this is well this is like I said earlier this is really the Tesla category because what? I felt we needed to represent them because they've innovated in two huge spaces. Two huge spaces. What are those spaces? In Electric your cars and
0: self-driving cars. I that yeah. is true. So I think Tesla's master plan they
1: basically started out pretty no they've been around for a while. They were around, yeah, before uh, 2010, they had the Roadster. But that was really, that started off as a one-off, like, car they made, custom, then they started producing them in low numbers for people. I know when I was out in California with my family on a trip, I saw one, and I was like, oh, my God, it's the Tesla Roadster. Like, that's such a cool thing. And it essentially was actually just a Lotus body they threw on their car, you know, their electric car. So it wasn't even their own body. And then from there, we went to actually getting the Tesla Model S, uh, launched, what year was that? I, I actually do not know when the S was I, launched. I think that was launched in 2015. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's, pretty, that's crazy recent, right? That is, I mean, it's halfway through the decade, basically. Yeah. But yet, this company has come to define the decade for cars. It has. Because since then, they've launched the Model 3, they've launched the Model Y, and they've now launched the Cybertruck. And they also had the... the
0: yeah they're they're tr- the model y wait did you already say yeah, that the model y they also have their semi truck
1: the semi truck tesla semi oh yeah. uh, oh we forgot the model x sorry the model x that's their what SUV it was crossover yeah oh, their suv so yeah in that time period they've launched like f- four or five cars uh which i guess isn't a big deal because manufacturers car manufacturers roll out cars every year yeah but but these for- are brand new electric cars that have some of the most groundbreaking designs uh, sometimes for worse if you look at the cyber truck and very uh polarizing but their designs that are, you know, minimalistic in the dash, for example, um, you know, they have new software updates over air, which has pushed all, you know, car companies used to not be able to update unless you brought them into the uh, to service. What update. were they doing?
0: And also Tesla's the only car company with a clean UI. Like you can yeah. go in and actually use the interface. It's not some weird, quote unquote, futuristic, oddly designed yeah. navigation system. And, and then the biggest thing also is self-driving self-driving yeah they i don't want to say they pioneered which it because-
1: self-driving technically still is illegal the um what is it the ftc federal no not ftc the what is it there's federal, some uh transportation yeah that's what ft whatever ft i don't know the federal Tra- transportation uh administration or whatever they are they don't actually allow self-driving cars yet technically and so, you know, the people who are driving around without their hands on the wheels sleeping or reading a book in their Teslas are technically kind of breaking the law. It's not allowed. And it's, I but, don't, I but don't it's, think it's the there The fact yet. that it's happening and you don't have accidents constantly shows that we're getting pretty close. I wouldn't say that this is something that is actually here. Like, we haven't reached, like, the boom product for that. That is going to be this is when it reached its best. But... So that's not really the one often that, you know, the iPhone wasn't smartphone at its best. So. It's true. It's true. And I
0: think Tesla has been a lead, one of the leaders in pioneering this. And I think they've done a great job getting their cars on the road and building their data model. They've been getting a lot of user uh, data from all the the testing that basically car owners are doing when they're running autopilot. Which Which of Tesla's vehicles do you think has been the most important for them?
1: I would probably say the original Model S. I think that's interesting. I know the Model Three was the one that brought down the price and everything. That's um, what I would say. But is actually, the most important. But the Model S was the one. If that one didn't start selling, they wouldn't have, you know, they wouldn't have even been around for the Model uh, I, Three.
0: I think I would actually put the Model Three because I think the Model Three and its price point is what put pressure on other manufacturers to actually start delivering electric cars at a more competitive price point. And I guess we do have like the Nissan Leaf and other electric vehicles, the Chevy Bolt and the Chevy Volt to, I guess, hybrid cars. But, you know, I I really think the Model 3 is what put pressure on the industry and is what is causing us to see more and more electric cars come out today at uh, better prices with more features and better, better range. So I think that's what I would choose for their most important vehicle. But to tesla i think every vehicle has been uh very important to some degree in in making their company a success
1: yeah but yeah that's i mean that's anything else for transportation maybe
0: Uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna throw one more on the spacex falcon 9 rocket and this was the first rocket that could re-land and that i mean there's one gif of them these two rockets like synchronized divers landing right next to each other it's so beautiful and this has been huge for the, I guess, the space industry because the rocket itself is one of the most expensive components and SpaceX figured out a way to preserve that. Um, and they've got about an 85% percent relanding rate. And this is these are the first stage boosters that are being recovered. And yeah.
1: that's been huge. So I well, think that's, that's not, it. It's not really transportation. I'd say, though, Uber and Lyft. Though, I mean... With ride-sharing. I mean, I know this goes into the bigger, you know, the... What is it? The kind of um, gig economy, gig economy. apps, yeah. Absolutely. Airbnb, TaskRabbit, such. But Uber and Lyft. I would say even Uber would the beginning one really defined. Okay, this is uh, how we're gonna do. You know, gig economy. A new a, a new generation yeah. of transportation as well, and they're investing a lot in for better or worse. For better or worse, you know, it's destroying uh, taxi drivers' yeah, livelihoods. I know. I know. Such, it's, but thus we'll is uh, the cost of progress, or that is the cost of progress. We'll so, see where it goes. And yeah, that's. That's pretty much the decade. It's amazing. You know, I was uh, thinking back, all right, like the different products I have. What did I have for that product in 2010? Like, you know, all right, I have my uh, MacBook Pro. Uh, what did I have in 2010? Oh, I think it was an HP 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 Pavilion. Oh, my gosh, I remember that. Uh, Like tower. I didn't look up the specs. I did have checked out the specs of what it was, but couldn't have been great. You know, I think it was four gigabytes of RAM, I think, was what I had so
0: yeah so i those are it those were our top picks for defining items and trends in the mobile photography app software web computing videography filmmaking entertainment yeah, okay. I audio they, i don't think they need and to transportation categories, categories. uh
1: that's i think that's going to be it you yeah can... definitely uh hopefully you know you have a good holidays this is coming out right before christmas uh and if, or if you're not, don't celebrate christmas i guess have a good hanukkah kwanzaa or if you don't celebrate anything just have a good Uh, end of december great week we'll also be dropping a bonus episode that is going to be looking forward at the next decade our predictions what is gonna basically just us saying things that are going to be wrong but that's true it might be entertaining i i definitely think so So um follow us out for that episode and follow us
0: on social media as well at pinch to zoom
1: podcast
0: on instagram at pinch to zoom pod on twitter and you can email us pinch to zoom podcast at gmail.com and yeah, that's going to be it. I'm Stetson. I'm Gabe. And we look forward to talking to you in the next episode. And the next decade after that. And the next decade after that. What was what was your favorite product for you personally this decade?
1: Me this decade,
0: drones. Yeah, I mean, it, drones were huge. I think I almost want to go iPhone 5 because that was the first iPhone I purchased and that's how
1: i started my YouTube yeah you know channel. right i might say phantom four actually because that was like that's like you know justin bieber's baby song when i was 13. I, it's like when i was 18 i had my first <laughs> <laughs> that's what it was <laughs>